great to be together. Uh, so we want to carry on our series in, um, in, in the book of Samuel, and, uh, and we're talking about cascading faith through generations. So we come to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and uh, it's quite a long reading, um, and I, I just, I need to say this, that, you know, today's sermon is, is, is not very helpful at all. It's pretty much just an old fable in the Old Testament of someone who is hearing voices, and, um, and actually, it's got nothing to do with our everyday lives and how we should expect God to work in our lives. Um, well, there's actually a whole theology that goes with that, that kind of believes that the only way that God has limited himself to speaking is when you read your Bible or when someone reads the Bible to you. The problem with that is that we keep encountering multiple stories in the Bible where the characters in the text are engaging in this meaningful personal conversation with God himself. God is coming and speaking to people. And so one of my mentors in, in books uh, passed on and with the Lord now is a guy called Dallas Willard and he says there's a problem that arises when we do not understand the experience of biblical characters in terms of our own lives because then we simply stop reading the Bible altogether or we choke it down in doses we can endure it's called quiet times <laughs> the open secret of many Bible believing churches is that only a very small percentage study the Bible with any degree of interest or intelligence or joy and certainly not with any more curiosity than time or news magazine. In my opinion, he says, it's because they do not understand the text in terms of their own experience. When we've stopped believing that the Bible is transferable, we stop believing the Bible. So sometimes the problem when you read the Bible is it's got these extraordinary stories. And they're meant for us. And today we see how God teaches a child to hear his voice. And these stories are meant for us. 1 Samuel chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. And there were not many pictures or not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, see how the author constructs this idea that there's a lack of spiritual sight, a lack of spiritual vision, to the key leader actually struggling with physical vision. And he was lying down in his usual place. And then another sort of like, Hard not to spiritualize little sentences. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Remember, this is in Shiloh in tabernacle days. They had not yet built a temple. So the house was actually just a very elaborate tent. Uh, and didn't have all the architecture that we associate with, um, 
with the temple. But there's Samuel, young boy. Then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Something's about to be activated in his life that was previously not present. Now you make a mistake to jump to John 17 verse 3 and read the New Testament into the statement, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He had not yet said said the sinner's prayer and he wasn't going to heaven. No, no, no. (laughs) It's that he had to learn to be in a meaningful relationship of hearing God's voice. That was the sense in which he did not know the Lord. So a third time, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. (laughs) A little bit of a rebuke in that last line, you know, sting in the tail. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. Now, we don't know how many people were in the temple, but there were people who used to sleep, I mean, at, the, at, the, at Shiloh. But we read that there were people all around in earlier chapters. So he wasn't calling an audible voice that everyone could hear. He was speaking in a way that only one young child in that whole place of Shiloh was hearing something. Even Eli wasn't hearing. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, but relax. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now something else happens. The Lord came and stood there. How do you frame that? The Lord came and stood there. Calling as at other times. Sometimes he's so aware God is literally here and then he recognizes the voice and links it to the presence. You see that? Calling as he did before. God's voice didn't change from the previous times. But somehow in this moment he becomes aware that God himself is here talking to me. And I'm just a kid. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli, this is his mentor, Everything I've spoken against his family from beginning to end. For I told him I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons uttered blasphemies against God and he failed to restrain them. And as we heard previously, he honored his sons. He valued his kids more than God. 
I swore to the house of Eli, says the Lord, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. In other words, nothing they do in this house will fix it. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, what he saw, what he heard. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my boy, Samuel answered, here I am. <laughs> He's good at that line. What is it he said to you, Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. We looked at this last week. May God get you, deal with you ever so severely if you hide anything from me. The half-hearted want to hear the word of God. They just don't want to do anything about it. Remember that? So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then tragically, Eli says, for he's the Lord, let him do whatever he wants to. That's not the point that God's word came. It wasn't the point that he says, oh, well, it's up to God. The reason God sent his word is that it was up to Eli. And he still, as it were, dismisses it with this horrible misunderstanding of sovereignty in which God will do whatever God will do and we've got nothing to do with it. And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. The Lord let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Like literally, he's still growing up. And all of Israel from Dan to Bathsheba recognized that Samuel was an attested prophet to the Lord, of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear, Shiloh, like these visions or the sense of God speaking, speaking to the nation, speaking to people. And he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Notice that out of Samuel hearing God, God takes Samuel's voice and makes it his voice to the nation. Samuel's word came to all Israel. Young, young boy at this stage, almost certainly not yet bar mitzvahed, uh, that's the, that's the uh, word that they use. So he's under 13, and God comes. Now, a couple of things, just clear the air here. This is one of the hardest prophecies and hectic thing for a kid to have to tell an old senior mentor. Like, what, what, what do you do? I mean, we're doing this discovery course, quick plug, Saturday afternoon. It's really awesome. And as we're listening, we, we're trying to hear the voice of God. And sometimes, even to us, as we listen to God for ourselves, it seems as though God isn't happy. Like we, we want to hear that which strengthens, comforts, and encourages. And we want to tell people what's helpful for edifying people. And then when you listen to God, you become aware of sin. And it's not just like the devil having a go at you. And I want to quickly make a, a couple of distinctions that help us discern. The enemy wants to condemn. Scripture is very clear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is something the Holy Spirit does. It's his job. 
He comes to show us when stuff is wrong. How do you know there's a difference between a genuine voice from God saying this is wrong and you need to put it right and the enemy coming and condemning you and saying this is wrong? You see, the enemy will come very briefly and he will not point to any redemption or future. He'll say, you are disgusting. You are the problem. You should be ashamed. Run and hide. God will come to you and say, this is wrong. The enemy says, run and hide. God says, turn to me. The enemy says, there's no more hope. God says, I am your hope. The enemy says, how are you going to save yourself? You've made a right royal mess now. God says, I will save you. The enemy says, hide it away. God says, give it to me. I'll take that. Remember on Good Friday, we had that, we had our sin on us and Jesus comes and he says, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. And then he gives us his righteousness. There's a huge difference between condemnation, which the, the, the effect on you is that you want to run and hide and hate yourself and harm yourself. And our kids need to know the difference. That's the enemy's voice. God's voice is not going to hide from our sin and failure, but he's going to keep pointing towards the solution that he has in Jesus. Why is this important? Because Sometimes if we become deaf to God's corrections, we become deaf to God. And we want to hear God in ways that are encouraging and strengthening and everything like that. Samuel's first encounter with God's word was a tough word. And to learn to listen to God as he did, he had to be able to discern where hope was in that word. Does that help? You're allowed to say yes. Okay. Any, any no's? Okay. okay. No, we won't go there now. It'll take too long to fix now. So the word of the Lord was rare, but God comes. All is not dark. The lamp is low, but God is going to give Eli one more opportunity to change. And literally through his young protege, God comes. His word is rare, but it's not absent. And then there's this beautiful story. And Samuel hears God call, Samuel. And he's up in a flash and he thinks, my master's calling me. And we have this, Eli wakes up, oh, what, uh, you know, and he's, uh, no, I didn't call. And then back to the main hall and then, you know, to and fro, Samuel, back to Eli. No, I didn't call. You had too much pizza last night, you know. And then we have this thing to and fro. By now, Samuel's probably getting ready to pull a pillow over his head until... The Lord keeps going. And then, and then there's this description, Samuel doesn't know the Lord yet. Samuel doesn't know how to identify the Lord. He doesn't know how to recognize the Lord. It's not like his heart was far. We've all sinned. We all need to turn to God. We all need to make that point. But if you're growing up in a home in which you've been taught to honor and connect with God, something does happen even when you're little. I mean, in, when I was a kid, we used to have these things called altar calls in church. How many of you remember altar calls? Like every Sunday, someone would say, if you know that you're a sinner, oh, 
then you better get saved or you're going to go to hell. And then they'd march us up to the front and we'd have to pray a prayer. And then I'd feel great for about half an hour until I sinned again. Um, but the, the thing was is that my heart was soft. Now, who knows? Quite honestly, where in the journey of my story, there, was, there were key, key moments. But I want to tell you that even just those moments of saying yes to God a dozen times or more, as I grew up, did something. I don't know when I became a Christian. I mean, I know when, as a young, sort of like late in my mid to late teens, there was an absolute crisis. And God brought me. After being very far from him for several years, but when I was a little guy, I responded often. Learning to hear God. Eli realizes it's not the pizza. The Lord is calling the boy. And for all his failings, he gives this timeless counsel that preachers love. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And, you know, preachers mean, speak, uh, <laughs> speak, Lord, I want them to listen to me. Um, <laughs> and Samuel's legacy is he does as he's told again and again. Here is the, his creator, maker of heaven and earth, deliverer of Israel, appearing, speaking, showing himself to this young boy. There isn't a junior Holy Spirit. Inviting kids into the experience of God rather than just into the theory of God is so important. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 11 verse 25. I praise you, Abba, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the clever people and you've made it known to little children. You know, God loves our kids. You don't have to convince them. In fact, one of the best things you can do is relax and keep thanking him that he loves your kids more than you ever could. And he wants to speak to them and he wants to be their God. I heard a story that I know is true because I found it on the internet. Um, <laughs> it was a, uh, a pastor who was, no, apparently it actually is sort of true, a pastor, was, uh, a pastor was doing some house visitation in his community and he was walking down the road uh, having just parked his car and he heard this mewing and he looked up into a fairly young tree and there was a kitten and so he tried to reach the kitten, and, but the, I mean, it was a young tree, but it was still pretty tall, and so out of his reach, and he wasn't quite sure what to do, and he remembered he's got a rope in his car. So he went back, got the car, tied a rope to the tree, and started pulling the tree lower down so that he could get to the kitten. And uh, so then he climbed up, and the kitten, you know, and climbed higher and higher and more out of reach. So he got in the car again and pulled it a little bit further, bring the tree, you know, just make sure that he can reach the cat. And then he just felt the car jerk. And then he got out and the rope had snapped. <laughs> and there was no cat. <laughs> so he was a little perturbed and he wandered around the neighborhood, couldn't find anything. And so kind of a day or two later, he's in the supermarket and one of his congregants are there and they're chatting. And, and she was a famous cat hater. 
Um, and uh, like loved her dogs, never wanted the cat, but there she's got cat food in her shopping trolley. And the pastor says, Dolores, you never do cats. What's this? And she says, well, pastor, I know you tell stories, but my word. <laughs> you know, my little girl, she's been on at me for weeks for me to get her a kitten. And we were out in the garden, and she came to me and said, Mommy, Mommy, I want a kitten. And I said to her, no jokes, my darling, the good Lord in heaven would have to send you a kitten. <laughs> and so she sat down in the grass and began to ask God for a cat. When Pastor, no word of a lie, out of the clear blue sky, came flying <laughs> into our yard. Okay, I'll leave it with you. Sometimes if you really want a prayer answered, get your kids to pray. Jesus said, let the little kids come to me. Like, they got this kingdom thing. They know it. So here's the simple, simple lesson. Is this is really transferable. It's not meant just for them. Learning how to discern when that voice that no one else can hear is speaking to you on the inside. And you know, it just sounds like your consciousness, except it's not connected to what you were thinking before. It's like, it's, it's not a deductive thought, not an analytical product. It's something that arrives as a gift. Now, the devil does the same. He throws thoughts into your head, you go thinking, oh, I'm such a bad person, where did that come from? And again, that would bring judgment, condemnation, and shame. In other words, there's this spiritual world in which we live, in which the stakes are real. And so learning how, and of course, I'm not dismissing Scripture, the whole story comes from Scripture, but Scripture's not there to replace the work of God in our day. Scripture's there to coach us in how to see the work of God in our day. Does that make sense? And so that's what we want to see in our homes and for our kids. Let's pray together. Father, we really do want to be the kind of place where our children feel like they can belong, that they're heard, that they're seen, that they're safe. Lord, we recognize there's so much going on in the world around us where that just really struggles to happen. And we ask, Lord, that we ourselves would know your voice. We ask, Lord, that your word would not be rare. We ask that it wouldn't be weird for us to have pictures and visions of what you are doing around us. But that your word would come to our city, to our communities. Your word would come because our hearts are yours. And that people can know that you love them. People can know that you see them. People can know that they're not condemned, but they're invited to a place of honesty and hope and turn around. Lord, you so didn't want this story to end badly, and yet it did. Help us not to harden our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.